Hello, and welcome to our anniversary episode. Before we begin the first part of our tale, I just wanted to say a few things first. It feels so long ago they began presenting original horror stories for everyone to enjoy, and enjoy them you all have. I'm incredibly grateful for everyone who has taken the time to listen to the stories, as well as everyone who has been supportive throughout the past year. I cannot thank you enough. However, there are some key individuals who would like to extend an even more gratitude towards. Cindy Vinson, Sherry Boyce, Sorrell Burnett Thompson for their generous contributions. Jamie Wolf, whose support and decades-plus-long friendship has been so dear to me. Yvette Casey, who years ago predicted my writing career, as well as those entertaining recap sessions. Linda Castile-Kozlowski and Monica Hamilton, who has been there since the beginning with their support. And of course, my beautiful wife Emily, whose constant encouragement led to the formation of the podcast. Thank you all so much. It means a lot to me. And now, without further ado, let's begin our story. Hello, and welcome back to Dark Stories from the Campfire. Tonight we present to you part one of our three-part anniversary tale, where we find three companions on the road on their way to a mutual friend's house. When they stop to rest, each will share a dark story. We present to you Anniversary Party, part one. When at last the winter months have finally ended, April showers are sure to take over. Wedding marches roots, letting forth the birth of seasonal flora. Compassion and love, those most human of emotions, are high in the air, and those that survive the darkness and cold emerge with joy and engage in matrimony. Couples that are combined as one in the previous years would, with the blessing of their most dearest of friends, celebrate their union with feasts and games. And so, one April morning, we find three companions traveling upon the road towards the household of a mutual friend, to celebrate the anniversary of their wedding. It was by chance that the three, that is, an undertaker, a maid, and a farmer, had encountered each other on their travels. The farmer, having left early in the morning, discovered that the buckle to his saddle had broken, rendering the farmer unbalanced, swaying back and forth. A few hours later, the maid came upon the farmer struggling to keep upright and offered assistance. Luckily, the maid had an extra strip of leather, and as the saddle was being mended, the two struck up a conversation. Learning they both were headed to the same destination, they agreed to ride together if not for safety, then at least for someone to talk to rather than themselves and the spirits around them. Shortly after midday, the two, who had stopped briefly at a stream to water their horses and stretch their legs, heard another rider rapidly approaching the stream, but on the opposite side. This was, of course, the third party of our group, the Undertaker, who dropped off his horse, disappeared into the woods, emerging a few minutes later, all the while whistling, and not paying any attention at all to the farmer and the maid across the way. Good sir, the farmer called out. How now do you feel? Surprised, the undertaker looked across the way, smiled and replied, splendid, before crossing the stream, making his way towards the original two. During the conversation between the three, the invitation they had all received, an emerald trim envelope with an embroidered W was noticed within the coat of the undertaker, who joyously confessed he had been more than excited to attend the party. 
At length the three spoke, and when it became apparent the horses had finished their rest, the companions saddled up, and together resumed the journey upon the road. After traveling down the rocky road for some time, the three companions, who were talkative and jubilant, trading both laughs and bits of bread, noticed the sun had begun its daily descent. And it was the farmer, after seeing a most perfect spot just beyond the tree line, who recommended they should bed down for the evening, as to be fresh to make an early morning. The others agreed, and soon the horses were tethered to trees, and their mats lay upon the ground. When they had been settled in, and their dinner prepared, the undertaker, who was still wide awake, as his profession dictated a nocturnal existence, called out to the farmer, Make me laugh, my friend. The farmer, the merriment of the day having worn off, and his dinner resting firm in his stomach, replied softly, I cannot, my friend, for I am too old and no longer have the strength. The maid, having also finished her dinner, had strewn herself across her sleeping mat, said, Well then, tell us a story, my dear farmer, while we watch the fire between us. Yes, the undertaker shared. Please tell us a tale so that we might, upon returning to our separate homes once the celebrations have been completed, pass them along and regale others with our dark stories from the campfire. The farmer thought deeply for some moments before letting out a sigh, and started his story. And thus we begin the farmer's tale. Miss Henderson had inherited the property some three years earlier. It wasn't a large plot, mind you, containing a two-story house, a barn, and a carriage house, but enough to at least make a modest living from, which for Miss Henderson was fine enough. Added to that, a small creek ran near the property on the west, which, in the early sunrise from the second-story main room, was a beautiful sight indeed, or so I have heard. All this would have been pleasurable to Miss Henderson had it not been for the stories the town had attached to the property, more specifically the carriage house itself. Be that as it may, a month after being notified the property was now hers, arrangements were made for her to occupy the house. It must have been about six months after Miss Henderson had moved in when I received word I had been invited to a ball thrown in the honor of her youngest daughter, as it was to be her birthday. It was, of course, a modest affair, keeping with her general lifestyle, though many guests were in attendance. And it was here amongst the conversation of various subjects, including a curious one of a discovered diary and an odd behavior of Mr. Peterson, that some of the visitors who were new to the area were informed of the history and stories some have told about the house. However, before these stories could dominate the conversations, the quartet began to play as our guest of honor entered the ballroom, signaling to us the true festivities had begun. Over the next few hours, there was not a dry glass nor idle foot in the place, and though there were chairs lined across the side of the room, they were, in the end, eventually removed as to grant extra room for the guest, as well as to ensure their safety as the dance became wider and grander. It was well into the following morning when the guests began to depart back to their houses and rented rooms in the town, leaving only a few of us left to lounge in the sitting room where we waited for Miss Henderson herself to join us once the last visitor had exited the house. She entered presently and immediately seated herself to my side, all the while fanning herself and wiping beads of sweat from her forehead as she gestured for another glass of wine. The lively conversation had dinned to a light murmur as we waited for some indication in how to proceed, or, truth be told, who would be first to broach the subject and press our hostess with the most important of questions. We hadn't waited long, however, for the bravest of us spoke up without hesitation or provocation, 
and speaking directly towards our most gracious of hosts, inquired as to why, knowing all that we know about the house, would she not only agree to occupy the residence, but to throw a ball in its rooms. Miss Henderson didn't reply at first, and I initially took this as her being taken back by such a harsh question so late in the evening. But when I looked upon her, I noticed she was neither shocked nor offended, but rather had a faint smile across her face. Softly, she replied, I know all too well the stories that plague this household, as well as the carriage house itself. And while you might not agree with my decision, it was, of course, my decision. And true, I had some hesitancy once I learned I had been bequeathed the house, but I have to say, all are rumors. Not a single incident has occurred during my stay, nor do I expect any in the future. For several moments, the room was quiet and still, each looking at one another. And though Miss Henderson's declaration seemed sincere, I couldn't help but notice the unease of her servant showed towards the end of her statement, as though he turned pale at the thought of something. This was discreet, of course, this quick reaction, and I doubt anyone else in the room noticed. Be that as it may, the servant, after asking if their assistance would be further needed, was dismissed for the evening by our hostess, who had broken the awkward tension by requesting a song to be sung. A week later, I received a letter requesting my presence once again to the house of Miss Henderson. It was several days before I was able to depart, for it was at the end of the harvest season, and I had to guarantee the last of my crops were properly reaped in store. But once I was able, I left, arriving at a front door not long after sundown, while I was greeted not by a servant, but a frantic Miss Henderson, who had taken to rambling incoherently, or at least in sharp, random sentences that could only be put together by the most gifted of listeners. It took some time for her to calm down, and it was in this brief moment of clarity that I was able to discern what she was attempting to communicate to me, which was her family and servants had fled the house not two days after my previous visit, and not a second had she slept in almost a week. When I inquired further as to what could have provoked such a reaction from family and staff, that left her in such a state. Her eyes teared over, and she said, The carriage house. There is something in there. The noises. At this, Miss Henderson passed out due to exhaustion. I carefully picked her up and placed her on one of the couches in the sitting room. I am not a superstitious man myself, and I never gave much thought to strange happenings or unexplained occurrences. But I felt as though I had no choice but to investigate, to maybe... If anything proved to myself that what I was hearing was nonsense, that I could wake Miss Henderson in the morning and let her know she could be rejoined with her family. I left her sleeping on the couch as I lit my lamp and made my way out the front door, down the path and towards the darkened carriage house. By now the night had fully set in, the moon outlining the edifice growing near. Lowering my lamp to see the path a little more clearly, I could see small swirls of leaves and grass rise and dissipate all around my feet with each step. And as I grew nearer, the soft evening smell gave way to a smoky, burning scent, so strong in fact I had no choice but to cover my nose with my handkerchief. Approaching the entrance door, not only had the smell become more potent, but a rumbling noise could be heard, which grew louder once I entered, to the point of it being almost deafening. Thrusting the lamp back and forth, I tried to cast light on as much of the house as possible, in an attempt to seek out the cause of both sensations, but all I could see between the flashes of light were blank walls and a pile of hay in the corner. 
However, every now and then, between the frantic flickering of the flame and the lamplight, I could see a shadow moving along the border of the house, though of what I could not be sure, for it was always just out of sight. Bent over, due to the ubiquitous smell of burning ash and the high volume of the rumbling, I desperately stumbled towards the door to get outside and away from the carriage house. No sooner had I taken a step in the direction of the door when the noise stopped and the scent evaporated away, as though neither had been there only moments prior. Lifting the lamp up higher, I resumed my search and inspection of the carriage house. I could find nothing that would explain the phenomenon I had just witnessed. At length I stood in the middle of the room, the lantern swaying in my hand, as the outside evening sounds crept in, and a gentle breeze passed through. When I first heard something move in the pile of hay, I didn't pay it much attention, thinking of course a portion had been caught in the breeze and moved. I continued pacing about the room. The echoing of my boots against the wooden floor reverberated off the walls and into the night. The second time, though, the movement within the pile of hay was more forceful, with part of it collapsing, spilling itself across the floor. I took a deep breath and crossed towards the corner where the noise was made, all the while holding out the lantern as far as I could. I had not an idea of what to expect. I stood a few feet away from the pile, was able to illuminate enough of it just to see that it was throbbing like something was caught and trying to push its way out. I inched closer, but again only cast a little bit more light on the corner. It was faint, but underneath the movement of the hay, the sound of scratching I could hear. I turned my head to listen closer. The scratching seemed to go on for several minutes, and I leaned towards it to hear it clearer. But no sooner had I done so when a crimson hand and arm jutted out from the pile, latching itself onto the wood of the walls. For a brief second I could hear the contorting of bone and muscle for following the arm a half-body, also of dark crimson, lurched its way out from the corner and into the light, and dragged its way towards my feet. It should come as no surprise that once I laid eyes on the being, I rapidly exited the carriage house, and was sprinting down the path and into the main house where Miss Henderson had awoken. After telling her all I had encountered, she quickly packed some items, and we were both bounding down the road on my horse towards the farm. Miss Henderson never returned to the property, and as far as I know, the house remains unoccupied. I'm still not sure what I witnessed that night, though one thing is clear, at least one of the stories about the carriage house were true, and that is of a young painter, who had been employed by a previous owner of the house, had absconded to the carriage house after learning his muse and secret love had been married and moved away to another country. For weeks he refused to leave, rejecting all offers of food and water, when he was finally ordered to leave the carriage house, those who were charged to evict the painter found him afflicted with a strange malady that tinted his skin red and rendered his leg useless, forcing the young painter to drag himself across the wooden floor. And here we end the farmer's tale in part one of our story concerning the three companions, that is, a farmer, a maid, and an undertaker.